Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for March 30th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to dive into the latest film and TV news, and that's pretty much it. So uh, this is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me today is Slash Film writer Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Slash Film writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys, let's get into it. Uh, Chris, let's start off by talking about Jurassic World 3. I know you and I, um, I guess, Jurassic World, the first movie, has uh, something of a negative reputation uh, among the Twitterati, I guess. And uh, I think you and I share the opinion that we kind of enjoyed the first Jurassic World. Uh, Who is coming back to direct Jurassic World 3? Yeah, so uh, Colin Trevorrow, who directed the first film, is coming back to direct Jurassic World 3. And uh, like you said, Ben, I don't, I'm not going to say I love Jurassic World, but I feel like the reaction to it was a bit overblown. And when I say reaction, I mean the film Twitter reaction, because the film is a huge hit. So obviously someone liked it, but the the film Twitter mindset seems to be that this film is is worse than cancer. And I don't know if I'd go that far, (laughs) but um. That said, I don't know if I'm excited about him returning because, I don't know, I kind of like the idea of turning, if they have to keep making sequels of this, which I don't think they should, but if they're going to, 
I kind of like the idea of turning this into like Mission Impossible, where they keep just bringing in new, exciting directors to helm each installment. But I guess that's not the plan. They're going to just bring Colin Trevorrow back to uh, finish it out because he originally pitched it as a trilogy. Right. Uh, HT, are you looking forward to this? Um, I'm one of those who wasn't a big fan of the first Jurassic World. I wouldn't say I thought of it as bad as cancer or worse than cancer, like Chris said, but I was not a a fan and uh, I've I've yet to be impressed by Colin Trevorrow yet. Although I know that, yes, he was just basically planned from the beginning and he uh, helped with the structure, I think, of uh, Jurassic World 2. So it, it was probably inevitable. I just... Yeah, I'm not too crazy about the news. It's interesting that he is coming back to direct it. So he's sort of bookending this Jurassic World uh, franchise, very similar to the way that J.J. Abrams is bookending the new Star Wars trilogy. And, of course, Trevorrow had his own run-in with Star Wars, where he was originally supposed to direct Episode Nine, and then ended up getting booted off of that movie. So uh, I guess he's returning to the fold that he's familiar with. I know that um, producer Frank Marshall and, and a lot of the people that uh, Trevorrow worked with on the first Jurassic World really liked, you know, the way that he worked on that movie. So uh, I'm not sure where the disconnect came exactly with uh, with the Star Wars scenario, but, um, but it seems like he's going to go back to familiar territory here. And uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I feel like Trevorrow's got some potential and I feel like he's learned a lot of lessons from the mistakes that he's made uh in the past so i don't know we'll see we'll see how this goes um ht let's talk about adam sandler uh before we talk about his next movie i guess uh or potential next movie what are your thoughts on adam sandler as a performer in 2018 so i've never been a huge hugely um impressed by adam sandler mostly because i've kind of associated him with his goofball movie roles that we see in Grown Ups, Grown Ups 1, Grown Ups 2, and all of the Netflix films that he's produced and uh, starred in. But he did impress in last year's The Meyerowitz Stories, uh, which was uh, a Noah Baumbach movie that actually earned Adam Sandler some faint Oscar buzz. I will say I haven't seen The Meyerowitz Stories yet, but I know that he has the potential to be a co- good performer based on his performances in uh, Punch Drunk Love and even Funny People. But he just kind of, he's, I I don't want to call him lazy, but I feel like a lot of the movies he does does do recently have been sort of paycheck movies, or at least an excuse for him to take a free vacation to Hawaii. But uh, with the Meyerowitz stories, it seems like he's on some sort of creative comeback or at least a creative resurgence in which he maybe is taking himself more seriously as a performer. So, which is why this new development is so intriguing. So essentially the Safdie brothers who were responsible for the really great and grimy crime thriller, Good Time last year starring Robert Pattinson, uh, they're reportedly eyeing Adam Sandler as their um, star of the new movie, Uncut Gems. it was originally going to star Jonah Hill, but they're reportedly um, looking to replace him with Adam Sandler. So I have not seen Good Time, and I don't oh, so know good. much about the Safdie brothers. But yeah, it's definitely on my list of things to see, and I'm I'm bummed that I didn't get to it before the end of last year because I saw it pop up on a lot of uh, year end lists where it was you know a critical favorite, and and people seem to really enjoy that movie. Chris, did you see Good Time? I did. It's very good. It's also a very um anxiety inducing movie like the whole movie is like non-stop uh 
problems that Robert Pattinson's character is getting into, but it's it's very good film, so I'm I'm excited about this. Yeah, okay. when I first saw it, I didn't know if I liked it or not, just because I was so uh, I was in such discomfort the entire time while watching it. But it really sticks with you at the end. And Uncut Gems is a, a Martin Scorsese produced movie, right? Yes, it's going to be produced by Martin Scorsese, and it's written by the siblings' frequent collaborator, Ronald Bronstein, uh, and it's going to be about the corrupt Diamond District of New York City, so a, yet another sort of gritty crime film that the Safdie brothers are very familiar with. Yeah, this, I mean, uh, I sort of mirror your thoughts about Adam Sandler, HT, and I feel like this definitely has potential to be sort of a... Um... A movie that, yeah, like you were mentioning, it he he would take himself a lot more seriously, and and it could be like a a career turn for him that you know something that uh, that marks a a dramatic shift from what he's um, typically known for. So I've always been a fan of uh, of you know you know actors stepping outside of their bounds and and sort of um, spreading their wings a little bit. And this seems like definitely an opportunity to do something unlike anything Adam Sandler's done in a long long time. Uh, so yeah, I guess we'll have to see. How that goes. Do we know anything about when this one is going to be filming? Because I know that the Safdie brothers are also in talks to direct uh, a remake of 48 Hours, I think was the last I heard. Um, yes, they're in talks to direct that. We don't have any more information about this movie other than um, the information that I just shared with you now. So it's all sort of in the air. So we're not even sure if Adam Sandler will sign on for this. But mm. it's an interest. It's a. it would be really exciting if he did. Yeah, for sure. Fingers crossed on that one. So let's talk about Kate McKinnon, the star of Saturday Night Live. Uh, Variety has a new report that uh, Kate McKinnon is teaming up with Danny Boyle, the director of Slumdog Millionaire and Steve Jobs, for a new comedy that is untitled, but the script is being written by Richard Curtis, who's the guy who wrote Love Actually, which I know HT is a big fan of, and uh, About Time, which I love that movie and I despise Love Actually, as I've mentioned on this podcast before. Um, this is quite the trio. We don't know much about the film yet. We know that it, the story is going to be music-themed and set in either the 1960s or the 1970s, but we don't know who any of the cast members are going to be playing um, in the film, we know that Baby Driver star Lily James is going to be in it, and EastEnders star Hymish Patel is going to be in this movie, too. I've never seen EastEnders, so I don't know who that person is, but the idea of McKinnon, Curtis, and Danny Boyle making a comedy together is certainly an unexpected thing, and, uh, and as somebody who essentially sticks through seasons after season of, of SNL just for Kate McKinnon. Uh, I'm excited to see her step into a larger role in uh, a big comedy like this. Do you, either of you have any thoughts about Danny Boyle, who a director who's not really known for comedies, directing something like this and, and Kate McKinnon starring in it? Uh, I Yeah, I think it's really, it's a strange combination, but I'm not mad at it. I actually really like it. Uh, Danny Boyle doing a comedy is something that I haven't really thought of in a while, but there are sparks of comedy, like veins of comedy in a lot of his movies, uh, Train Spotting especially. So yeah, I think that this could be a really out of left field, but really exciting uh, project. Chris, have you seen SNL? Do you watch that show regularly? Uh, I do not, but I do like Kate McKinnon a lot. So I want her to do more movies i want her to be in all the movies and i will happily see them so i i don't uh i don't have anything against this film awesome uh all right so 
Chris, I know you're a big Stephen King fan, and yesterday after we recorded the podcast, some news broke about a new Stephen King movie adaptation. Tell us about that. Yes, so uh, James Wan and Roy Lee, uh, James Wan, who directed The Conjuring, and Roy Lee is one of the producers on another Stephen King adaptation, It, are teaming up to do a new adaptation of Stephen King's uh, novel, the Tommy knockers. Um, this was previously adapted into a mini series. Uh, so now they're trying to turn it into a, a new movie. They're, they're basically shopping the project around to both studios and streaming places like Netflix to just see who wants to buy it. Uh, the Tommy knockers is not a really great Stephen King book. Even Stephen King himself has said in recent years that he really thinks it's a terrible book. He wrote it, at like the height of when he was dealing with like drug addiction, alcohol addiction. So it's kind of a mess. And in retrospect, he's looked back at it now that he's sober and he said, you know, I wrote that in a bad time in my life. So I don't really like it that much, but that said, there are good ideas in the book. So maybe they'll, you know, they'll be able to turn it into a pretty good movie. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm all for as many Stephen King adaptations as possible. So I'll, I'll definitely give this a chance when, and if it comes out, mm-hmm. um, I saw somewhere that the Tommy knockers is like one of his most popular books. Is that right? Even though it was written at this sort of bizarre period in his life. I've never heard that. If that's true, I don't know what to make of that because <laughs> it's really not good. I mean, I, and you know, he's written so many books and I don't know. This is, this is not one of the better ones. Okay. And this yeah. is one of the books that he, doesn't remember writing too, right? I think you shared an article about that, Chris. That was an Onion story. <laughs> okay, I thought that was an article. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> the, but there, it is actually true that the book Cujo, he wrote that while he was uh, dealing with drugs, and he actually doesn't really remember writing that. So that actually is something that's happened to him, where he has written a book in the past he does not actually remember writing. So. <laughs> Uh, man, so we don't know who's going to actually direct this. You, you said that Juan is supposed to be producing it, right? Yeah, there's no word on a producer. That's another thing. I'd be a lot more excited if James Wan were directing this just because I really like James Wan's horror films. But, you know, since in recent years, he's he's, he's gotten into other other genres. You know, he directed Furious 7 and he you know he's making Aquaman now. But I'm always hoping he'll return to horror just because I really like his horror films. All right, so let's move on to our next story, and that is uh, an Anne Frank drama directed by The Handmaid's Tale director Reed Morano. H.T., tell us about this one. So Reed Morano has been sort of in the headlines lately because of rumors that she may or may not be directing a Star Wars film. She has put down those rumors for now, but she has been tapped to helm Keeper of the Diary, which is a drama about Holocaust victim Anne Frank. Uh, so Keeper of the Diary is a um, screenplay that was that Fox Searchlight won in a five-studio bidding war, and uh, Kenneth Barnog was originally attached to direct and star in the movie, uh, which will follow Anne Frank's father, Otto Frank, as he searches for a publisher for his daughter's now-famous diary that she had written while they were in hiding from the Nazis. So um, Reed Morano has been tapped to direct this film, and and um, this is sort of, um, they they essentially got her because her schedule opened up after her current film, the spy thriller, The Rhythm Section, was temporarily suspended after star Blake Lively was injured uh, during an action sequence. So uh, it seems like she'll be working on them simultaneously or working at least on The Keeper of the Diary while um, they're waiting for The Rhythm, rhythm Section to get back on 
track. Chris, have you seen The Handmaid's Tale? No, I have not. Even though I've heard good things about it, I've avoided watching it just because it sounds so unrelentingly uh, depressing. And I feel like everything is pretty depressing as it is already in the real world. And I don't know if I can like sit through it. But one of these days I do want to watch it just because I've heard such good things about it. Yeah, that I, it is, Chris. <laughs> I um I recently read the book and uh, I my wife and I just like I think it was yesterday or maybe two days ago pulled the trigger on buying a, a Hulu subscription just so we could essentially just so we could watch the show because um, we both read the the book and um, we've only got through the pilot so far. But HT, I know you're a fan of the show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, Murano is a really fascinating director, and I'm looking forward to seeing what else she does with uh, with Handmaid's Tale. So far, I mean, you know, I've only seen the first episode. I think she directed the first what three of season one. Is that right? Yeah, she directed the first three, and she won an Emmy for directing those as well. Yeah, and I saw her new movie. I think we're alone now, which premiered at uh, this year's Sundance Film Festival, and I wrote a review about that. So you can you can check that out on the site. I'll link it in the show notes. But um, that was that's really my only exposure to her as a filmmaker. I know she's like a, a longtime cinematographer who's just now, um, you know, breaking into uh, directing and in, in a pretty significant way. And she really is like uh, sort of a master at crafting atmosphere and mood. So I'm, I'm interested to see what that looks like in terms of uh, <laughs> a story about a Holocaust victim and, and finding, you know, how, how serious they're going to lean into that side of the story and how much they're going to uh, try to balance that out with um, the idea of like her dad being the one who's wandering around trying to find a, a seller for the, or a publisher for this book. If it's going to be a, a lighter story or something that's a little bit more serious, because we know that she can lean into that kind of uh, storytelling pretty seriously herself. So let's transition into something a little bit lighter, and that is Bill and Ted 3. Uh, Chris, we've been hearing a lot about this film. What's the latest? Uh, yeah, so uh, the, a Bill and Ted 3 idea has been kicking around for a long time. Um, Entertainment Weekly has this big piece today where uh, it reunites Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves and uh, writer Ed Solomon, who's written uh, all the films, the, the, you know, the first two films and the script for the new one. And, uh, you know, they rehash a lot of details we've already known that uh, William Sadler is returning to play uh, the Grim Reaper. Um, They also mentioned that Steven Soderbergh is producing, which I actually had never heard before, but they actually had brought this up before a a few months ago. So that's uh, that's interesting. But the newest thing they say is um, Ed Solomon says they're hoping to close a deal with financiers within the next month. So in a month or so, we should know if Bill and Ted 3 is finally happening. So uh, mark your calendars for a month from today and maybe we'll know. And I have uh, admitted my embarrassment before in that I've never seen any of the Bill and Ted movies all the way through. But what are what are your uh, both of you guys? What are your relationships with that franchise? Uh, HD? I love Bill and Ted. I've only seen the first one, but it was a movie that my orchestra teacher in high school dearly loved so whenever we had a break from practice he would put that movie on every time that and zoolander so it was it was a really fun time um bill and ted is just it's so bonkers and silly and dumb but i absolutely adore it and um keanu reeves does have the hair now the long hair so maybe maybe it's an anticipation of bill and ted 3 but it's also his john wick hair i guess so <laughs> uh chris what about you uh, i love those films um i i like the, uh, the sequel Bill and Ted's bogus journey more than the first one. And I think I'm 
the only person in the world who feels that way. But it's a very strange movie where Bill and Ted literally die and go to hell. And it's just something about that film is so weird that I can't help but really like it. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that this happens. Maybe it'll give me ex- an excuse to finally catch up with the first two films. Uh, and the last thing that we're going to talk about today is a, a rumor, I guess, a, a new report that says that Netflix might buy Luc Besson's company EuropaCorp, which is the French studio that's behind movies like Taken and Valerian, with the Disney-Fox acquisition looming over all of these studios in Hollywood, it seems to me that, that these studios and different entertainment companies are looking to consolidate and, and sort of shore up their forces as much as possible, especially with Disney getting ready to release their new streaming service that's coming out next year. And Netflix is obviously one of their biggest competitors in that area. And the idea that Netflix might buy EuropaCorp is interesting because Luc Besson is a, a French filmmaker. He's directed a ton of, of movies, The Fifth Element, and uh, Femme Nikita and The Professional and all these things. And now they're talking about maybe buying his company and essentially just giving him free reign to direct a handful of movies with like $30 million budget. So that's a little bit less than what he spent on Valerian, which is his most recent big budget movie. That sci-fi film that came out last year did not perform very well, but because he creatively financed it through um, some... I guess unconventional means uh, the company itself did not really take a huge um, loss there because all of the loss was essentially spread through a bunch of different investors in that project but still the idea that Netflix could pick up EuropaCorp is is probably a smart move for them especially with this Disney deal looming and it would also grant them access to that company's uh, library of movies like Taken and the transporter and on all these films. So do either of you have any thoughts about whether or not this is a, a smart move for Netflix? Is this um, something that I'm, I'm looking at too short term? Should they be thinking more long term, maybe going for a, a bigger company? Because we know Netflix has uh, some money to spend. They're dropping like $8 billion on original content this year. Uh, HT, what do you think? You know, I'm still confused where Netflix gets their money. I know that they have plenty of investors, but the fact that they're spe- they're spending billions not just on new original content, but on buying uh, a company like EuropaCorp is astonishing to me. Um, I I think this is a fine move. It kind of is in line with what Netflix has been doing uh, recently in trying to sort of create their own franchises. So I think, uh, and like buying properties from like, comic books, uh, smaller comic books and other independent sort of comic book writers. So it kind of makes sense. They're not going for like the big guns yet. I think they're just trying to build up their, um, their sort of reputation Mm -hmm. as of now. Chris, any thoughts? I mean, I'm not overly excited about this, but I guess it's, it's sort of like a wait and see thing where maybe it'll turn out interesting, but I'm sort of neutral on the whole idea at the moment. So I have not seen Valerian. Did either of you see that movie last year? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I did. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's on Amazon Prime right now if you want to watch it, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, oh, I've heard so, I've heard some people say it's worth checking out because, you know, it's inventive and it's weird, which it is. And the first like 10 or 15 minutes of it is pretty pretty cool, but it's not that great. It 
it puts Rihanna in the movie and then wastes her in like two scenes and that's it, which, you know, pissed me off. Like, don't, you know, if you're going to put Rihanna in your movie, you have to give her a bigger part. Don't give her like two scenes. That's, that's my, that's my big thing. So I take it that you're not excited about the possibility of a, a Valerian sequel uh, at, at a much smaller budget than if, if this deal were to go through. Uh, yeah, I can't say I'm, I'm overly excited about that. <laughs> Uh, what about Lucy, the Scarlett Johansson movie from a few years ago where she plays like a, a person who essentially turns into like an artificial intelligence badass and like wanders around uh, kicking ass all movie. Did you guys see that one? I have seen it. And I think it was fine. It was interesting. Uh, I think it kind of stumbled over its own sort of ambition, but it was a solid action film. Not one of my favorite best song movies, though. Yeah, that one was like a surprise hit at the box office. And I think there's been talk about a sequel for a long time. And I'm wondering if this deal goes through, if that might be just enough to sort of push that over the edge and turn that into a Netflix movie. That would be sort of a a fascinating thing. We've seen like big movie stars make Netflix movies before. I mean, like Brad Pitt was in one a, a year or two ago that sort of came and went with no, almost no fanfare whatsoever. But the idea of, um, the classic netflix story yeah yeah exactly i think it was called war machine that movie um Mm -hmm. but uh but the idea of somebody who's like a a huge star like scarlett johansson maybe coming back for a sequel to a movie that performed pretty well internationally but doing that in a netflix movie is is sort of a fascinating thing to me because i think that would be their first uh situation like that it's it's sort of a unique platform for them Hey, it's Ben, just pausing the show for a second to correct myself. I was editing the podcast, and I realized that I completely forgot about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny, which perfectly meets this criteria and stars two massive international superstars in Michelle Yeoh and Donnie Yen. So apologies for forgetting that one. Just wanted to set the record straight. Back to the show. Chris, do you have any thoughts about uh, a Lucy 2 going straight to Netflix? I mean, again, this is all just theoretical if this deal goes through, but... I mean, if it's if it shows up on Netflix, I'll watch it. I liked the first one, but it's that's one of those movies that I liked it when I saw it, but I ne- I've never like thought about it again. I've never been like I gotta go back and watch that again. But if if Lucy two shows up, I'll watch it. <laughs> all right, <laughs> same. Uh, well, guys, it's Good Friday, and that's all the news we have. It's it's been a pretty slow news day as we head into the Easter weekend. So I think that's pretty much gonna bring us to the end of this episode of Slash Film Daily. Uh, HT, where can we find more of your work online? You can find me every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. And Chris? Uh, I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 And you can find me writing at SlashFilm.com as well. I am on Twitter at Ben Pears, and SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Our regular host, Peter Serretta, is probably going to be back hosting uh, next week since he's been uh, on vacation in New York this past week, so we're looking forward to having him back. Uh, Please be sure to leave your name and general geographic location in your email in case we do read it on the air so we know how to credit you. And then uh, don't forget, of course, to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. We'll see you guys on Monday.